What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 72 of the Lombard Trucking Show. Glad to have you here. Appreciate you all tuning in. Got a very special guest with me today, uh, fellow CDL Drivers Unlimited member, uh, Mr. Daniel Kors, has decided to come on to the show. He's got a fascinating story, and he's also going through some experiences and has a lot of experience being over the road with uh, the, the realities of the situation that I think a lot of people out there, you know, outside of the, the logistics world don't really know, you know, know too much about or hear about outside of, you know, sometimes you'll catch some of these stories on TikTok, but personally, I find these valuable uh, to bring on to the show. And that's, it, I, I've said it multiple times that what I'm trying to do is bring on as many drivers as possible to share their experiences, because to stack up these, you know, these, these experiences and these messages, I, I find there's, is really one of the surefire grassroots way of how we can really stir some change in this industry. So without any further delay, I want to welcome to the show, Mr. Daniel Kors. Thanks for coming on board, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, that's an awesome last name you got there. And I know it's with a K, but, you know, for, for in yeah, reality, I'm not rich. Still... <laughs> I'm not a rich man. Yeah, but st still an awesome last name to carry it with to introduce yourself by. That's an icebreaker for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I... No, I... My nick, my nickname in high school was Coors Light. Yeah, no, that's a mighty. See, that's a it good one. Greatest, it wasn't the greatest nickname in the world. <laughs> no, but one you get, one that gets carried with you, one where people can easily remember you. But I appreciate you coming on. So you know, tell you know, tell everybody. So where are you from, man? What's your story? Well, I grew up in a little small town in southern southeast Indiana called Greensburg. Um, uh, mom. Dad home, farming, two brothers. Um, we didn't own a farm ourselves, but we were involved in agriculture. Dad worked for a big farmer, and we was always helping out here and there on different places. Um, graduated high school, decided to go to college to be a Catholic priest to start with. Um, <laughs> that was <laughs> – that was a little bit of a shocker to a lot of people. They were like, there ain't no way. Well, they were right. Um, I ended up leaving the seminary and uh, went to Purdue University. Um, spent uh, four and a half years at Purdue. Graduated with a BS in Ag, Ag, Ag Econ, or Agricultural Economics, for you guys that don't know the slang. Um, but uh, met my wife in college. We got married shortly after. Um uh, and then life goes from there, but uh, got it. Got a little bit into trucking there for a bit, but then got out and got back in. But now I got my CDL when I was working a summer job in college, working for a tent company, traveling all across the country. Um, passed the written test with no problem. The driving test, uh, I uh, had to take three times because the first time I didn't know I could look out the window and open the door. I thought I had to use the mirrors. Well, I guess you're not allowed to open the door, but I didn't know I could look out the window. I thought I had to look out the mirror. So I screwed that up first time. Second time, I shifted on a set of tracks, which we all know is a big no-no when you're doing a mm. test. And third time, I went in on Memorial Day. They actually got the instructor to come in on Memorial Day and give me the test, and I passed it. Tuesday morning after Memorial Day, I was at the license branch and got my license. And by 9.30 in the morning, I was in a truck by myself. 80,000 pounds of tents headed south to Tennessee. Uh, green as a gourd in a semi, but with the ag background, heavy machinery, the guy that owned the tent company is like, 
we ain't got time. We got we ain't got time to play around. You got to go. So, yeah, maiden voyage was left by myself. <laughs> but uh, oh, that's got this, started. That's pretty cool. So a small company was your first gig, like oh this is, uh, oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah. well it wasn't a small company. I mean it's, now they're like number one or two largest tent company in the country. Um, they've sold out, changed names, but still the the uh, couple of the guys that I worked with at the time actually are the ones that run the company now, and they got outside investors that bought it, but they run the company. Now, is this like if a circus? No, 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 no. They do oh, okay. uh, fireworks tents. They do like Bonnaroo. I, you've probably heard of Bonnaroo. Mm-hmm. Um, they put up all the clear spans at Bonnaroo. That's through them. Um, they do Florida State Fairs, Florida Fairs, State Fairs all over the country. Um, well, heck, when I was in college, Katrina hit. And if I wouldn't have been had to go to class, I'd have went to work for them during that time period. I, if I was working for them, but if I'd have been able to go, I'd have spent my entire fall in uh, Louisiana down there. They had over 2 million square feet of tent in Louisiana for Katrina, moving it around for different people they they do all kinds of stuff so yeah it's not really a small company there they were huge in the poultry oh, no. company business and clear spans see that's awesome you know i i when i was in, it's crazy because i've been told by multiple people including my grandfather who they, they're the ones who talked me out of getting my cdl and i would bring it up in college when i was in college as well i i would tell my friends like hey man maybe, maybe, i think getting your cdl could be a good way to get some like side money over the summer or something like there's always places to oh. drive and they're like they're like, no, you don't want it. You don't want to do that. You don't want to get down that road. And but here you are proving it right. Like if you are somebody who's in college, get you know get it. It's a valuable tool. I love I love that. Yeah, but the problem is this: a CDL is is have, going and getting your CDL when you're in college. It's just like somebody passing you the mirror. You can't get away from it. <laughs> they pass you the mirror. You can't get away. You just stay mm-hmm. away from it, in my opinion. Uh, unless you're truly ready to put your life on the road forever. Uh, yeah. But no, uh, that's a harsh way to say it, but that's the way I looked at it. No, I, lo- uh, I, I love that I rhetoric. I look at it now. Yeah, just here's the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I got I got out of college, and I didn't go straight into trucking. I actually went to work on a big hog operation um, and uh, 10,000 sows just south of Purdue because I graduated from Purdue and uh, did that for about a year. And uh, some things happened um, with their growth where they were planning on growing fell through and they didn't really have a spot for me in Indiana. They just want me to go West and my wife didn't want to go. And so I decided to get another job, got a different job that lasted three months. Cause I'm a very, uh, let's see, blunt person. And, speak my mind well they didn't like that so i kind of got booted out of that job and since i had a cdl my headhunter that helped me get those two jobs he's like i got just the job for you my father-in-law needs a needs a driver you want to come drive for my father-in-law i said well we'll give it a whirl so what is it he's flatbed work i said i'm not afraid to freaking work so yeah that's fine so i went to work for a small little company this had been 2007. Went to work for a small little flatbed company out of Indiana, hauling steel I beams, and uh, we mostly um, did oversize. 
everything from uh, we called 60 footers legal loads even though it's an oversized load we considered it a legal load because that's what we did every day um drove a Freightliner Columbia. Oh, the best part is this. This is a story that I, I, I went too far. When I was in college and got my CDL, first truck I drove, 86 freight shaker cab over, spring ride, big wheel, nine speed short stick. I'm six foot six. <laughs> that, that was a treat. There's not very many guys today coming into trucking even understand what a nine speed big wheel spring ride cab over even looks like let alone drive one with a big cam 300 in it they got no clue what they're thinking about that truck would get and go i mean it was a dog but at the time it was power at least in my mind i'm like i'm a big trucker now but uh yeah that's what i cut my teeth on was a cab over learned how to drive first on the scene of an accident but uh um but yeah so i got into trucking after i did those couple of jobs and uh got bounced around a couple of different companies they're all small companies i've never worked for any large mega fleets or anything like that i'm just i'm i want to be known as a person not as a number i want to be able to pick up the phone and when i call on the phone to find out what's going on i want to talk to the man that runs the show that's telling me what's going on and I've always had that. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> so I did that for a year and a half with him doing oversized. I've put 86 footers on 48 foot flats and pulled them across to Indiana and Ohio. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I did not get into the advocacy thing or anything like that. I was just a truck driver learning how to drive, getting my, getting my feet wet in the industry enjoying the good life and then in uh 2010 yeah 2010 me and the wife we had our first child that was a big change in life um you realize it's not just yourself anymore you got something else that depends on you real fast um i mean my wife had a job outside the home so i mean i wasn't so much worried about her being able to depend on herself because she made enough money to survive if something would have happened to me. But once we had a child, it's like, wait a minute, we got a whole new thing going on. I'm, I'm a dad. I got responsibility now. Big grow up. Um, but, uh, and then a year and a half later we had number two. Um, then I got out of trucking, um, for about two and a half years, me and the wife, we decided that we was having some issues and we felt it was mostly had to do with trucking and we thought if we was going to save this marriage we ha that I had to get out and uh, a buddy of mine found me a job out in Illinois um, working on a hog farm and uh, so I called went out for an interview one time while I was on the road driving through I stopped did an interview with them and they offered me a package that I couldn't turn down so I came came home and put in my notice me and the wife we packed me up and I went out there a month early um, before the wife and my two kids came out I went out for a month living in a house out there um, with another guy waiting on our house to get finished up the house we was renting was having to be remodeled and I did that job for two years met some 
amazing people in Illinois. Um, one of the things we, we always said when we were out in Illinois, me and the wife did, we always said we're Hoosiers by birth, Illini by choice, and Boilermakers by the grace of God. <laughs> that was our that was our line. Uh, did that for about two years. My father-in-law decided he was going to retire farming and asked us if we wanted to come back and take over the family farm. And I said, of course, absolutely. That's my goal in life was to farm. So uh, we came back and some things happened and it didn't work out. I wasn't able to get close enough to get the farm. And so I, I went to work for a guy when I got back and that job, we had two different ideas on raising hogs and uh, it was his business. So I walked away and when I walked away, it was very volatile time. Um, I pretty much gave my wife an ultimatum at that point. Uh, I was a, I was tired of working for the man. I was tired of working and making everybody else money. And I was wanting to be my own person. And I told her, I said, I'm going trucking. I'm buying a truck and a trailer and starting my own authority. I said, that's what we're doing. I said, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's what we're doing. So we bought a house and borrowed enough money to buy a 2005 uh, International and a 2005 Benson 48 flat and uh, $20,000 operating money. And we started trucking with our own authority, got our own authority and went trucking. And uh, um, we got to about week four, just about the end of October, because I pulled my first load with my own authority on October 1 was the, of 2014. And we got to probably the fourth week, week of October, and I looked at her and I said, said sweetie, I said, we got $2,000 left in the bank. That's enough money to put fuel in the truck and pay our household bills this week. I said, I got to go trucking. If I don't have money in the bank account when I get home, I'm going to have to sit at home until we get money. When I got home that Friday, I had $12,000 in the bank. And it just took, we just kept going. Um, I thought about expanding and then I was talking to other people and I just, I wanted to add on. I really thought hard about adding on, um, but uh, I just couldn't, you know, I mean, it just didn't, finances didn't match up right. Never enough money to bring another truck in and be able to support that truck until the money started coming in on that truck. It was just so tight because with the, and by then, we had five kids. Um, yeah, because the twins were, well, once we got started, we had number three before I started trucking again. Right after we got back to Indiana, we had our third one. And then a year and a half later, we had two more. We had a set of twins. So I got five kids. Um, that was uh, quite a shocking experience when your wife tells you that, you got four, she's pregnant with number four, and then three weeks later, she surprises you with a gift a week before your anniversary saying, no, it's not four, it's actually going to be five. Oh, yeah. Uh, Twins, the night just, rounded off, and it's a five. I love that. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, uh, I got my daughter. Uh, I got four boys and a daughter, so that's where my daughter, my daughter, I, daughter. That's where I got my daughter there in the set of twins, those boy girl twins. And everybody says it's your. You know how them twins were formed? I said it's her fault. She threw two eggs, so it's her fault, not mine. Yeah, it's not up to you. So, uh, well, hey, I mean, if I could me. say, oh yeah, it's not up to you. If I could say one thing, I'm with you though. If if I could choose between having five trucks and five kids, I'm going with five kids any day of the week. I'd prefer that absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got just as many headaches. But I got, I think, five trucks would be just as many headaches as five kids. <laughs> exactly. It might not cost as much, but it, but but it's just as many headaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you throw a daughter in there because, woo, they got, mm, there ain't no such thing as little girls. It's just short women. That's what they are. They're born as short women. <laughs> They're born knowing all the answers and men are just in the way. But, uh, but no, that's my opinion. Um, so we got started and then uh, flatbed kind of had a little bit of a, a little bit of a lag there in 2000. 18, 19 in my area, I felt like it. And I was tired. I was wanting to try something else. So uh, a buddy of mine was pulling a hopper bottom and he said he was killing it. So I went out there and went to work with the same company he was doing power only, pulling their hopper, running my authority. And uh, they call them welfare wagons for a reason. I was on the losing end so fast it wasn't even funny. I went from running pretty good to I ended up having to start factoring. Um, I hadn't yeah. factored a single load up until that point, and I had to start factoring. And my cash flow just – I ended up losing $30,000 in eight months and had to start factoring. It was horrid. I was so mad. It wasn't even funny. Um, and then uh, I got out of that after I'd taken enough whippings. And uh, I, sh- I should have got out earlier, but it was the winter time, and as a flatbedder, and you gotten lazy pulling a mm-hmm. hopper bottom, you know what happens in the winter time. I was not wanting to f- throw vinyl. I'm like, I'm just gonna push through until the final's over with, throwing vinyl and throwing them rags, and I'll go back as soon. I'll get rid of this thing as soon as that's over with. And I did. I got back into flat pulling a f- flatbed, <laughs> and then I also. Before that, I met. So I was cruising Facebook, and uh, I seen a uh, um, uh, Facebook video pop up for one day by John Adams. Um, out of, uh, I believe he's out of Marion, Indiana. Talking about it was either CDLDU or I think it was CDLDU is who he was with, and uh, that was in. 18 somewhere in that neighborhood 17 18 and i followed him and i was like man this is crazy what's going on and i and i felt i i felt like i was one of felt like i had the same issues they were talking about uh i did the uh i did the whole eld hold out hold out hold out to the very end you know till that 2019 moment came um and then uh, I joined up with them, and the first time I had really got involved in anything was the slow roll in Indianapolis, Indiana. And when I went down there, I had friends in trucking, you know. I 
I mean, you work with different guys, you get friends, and, but you're doing the same thing. Y'all live in the same area of the country. You pretty much got the same kind of life. And I showed up in Indianapolis for that slow roll in Indy, and I met three amazing people that day, three, that I truly, two of them I still call true friends. One of them still a friend. Two of them were true friends. And there's several other guys that were there that I became good friends with. But at the time, I didn't really know him that well. But I met a man by the name of Artie Daniels, also known as Dollar Bill. I met another man that I'd seen online on Facebook, and I wanted to meet him in person. He was there. And that was the one and only the ambassador of trucking, Mr. Joe Denny. That man, I don't care what anybody says about him, that man has got a heart like nobody's ever seen for the trucking industry, for children, and for the safety of the American people, and for the industry, and what's right and what's wrong. He's got a wicked past, but that man has a heart that would not fit in a Boeing 747. Then I met... uh, um, Chuck Middles, old Chucky, he owns a bike shop now. He got out of trucking, owns a bike shop. Great guy, good man, had a lot of heart. These are wild guys, crazy guys, but their hearts are huge. Uh, but now Dollar Bill, that man right there, you want to hear somebody that will make you cry, laugh, and go, ain't no way. That's the man. That is the man that can tell the stories. I have seen mountain of men come to tears listening to that man speak. But uh, so we got, I got, got pulled in, ended up in uh, Chicago at slow roll in Chicago when the Chicago Metro Police shut down Chicago for us. That was awesome. Um, but what I believe was the turning point for me in the advocacy world and getting really involved was was 104 on DC started going to 104 on DC which is an amazing event if you're a truck driver and you want to do something that will change the way you think of trucking change the way you feel about trucking and about what we're going through out here on the road with the government regulations and all of that and how to get back is 10-4 on DC. And I'm not trying to throw a pitch for 10-4 on DC, but I kind of am here. No, pitch it, because I want to go. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what 10-4 on DC is. So on Wednesdays, we all gather in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And we camaraderie, meet new people, everything like that. And then about 10-30, 11 o'clock at night, we all line up after a driver's meeting, and we roll out. We bobtail up. We blow the Virginia scale because it's always open, and we go driving by, and they stand out there and wave at us as we go by because they know we're not stopping. One year, we probably ought to just drive through the scale out just to yeah. give them a good laugh. Piss them off. But Virginia we have, DOT sucks. Yeah. 
Well, well, they know they know what we're doing, so they know we're coming every year. They know what them guys. We call in advance and tell them, "Hey, here we're coming up through here. We're going. Well, there's 45 of us bobbed down. We're going to blow your scales. Sorry about your luck. Have a good night." And they come out there and they just smile and wave as we go by. I mean, they understand what we're doing. They know we're not breaking any laws or anything like that. They know where we're headed. So we get up there, and here's the part. Okay, so you come across, you come up 95, and you get on 395, and you're rolling north, and you look over to your left, and you see the Pentagon and Arlington Cemetery off to the to further on away, and then you cross over the bridge of the Delaware there, or is that the Potomac? That's the Potomac, isn't it? It's the Potomac. Mm-hmm. Cross over the Potomac, and you look off to your left and you see the Washington Monument standing there all lit up in the middle of the night. It's like midnight, 1230, something like that when we're coming in. And it's just all lit up. And it's one of the most beautiful scenes there is. And then you come off that bridge and you take that first exit to the left. And on the route one, you come down route one and it makes the hard curve to the left and you're on 14th Street. And you got all kinds of buildings around you, office buildings, uh, USDA, a couple other buildings, stuff like that. And you hook, a, you hook a right at about the second or third stoplight before you get to the mall. And you go down about, mm, depending on how many trucks and how what area of the mall we're parking on, you'll either go down to 7th Street or 4th Street. Most of the time, it's seventh. And you're running red lights. And, I mean, you are you know you're getting close and you're honking the horn a little bit, but you're not trying to be too obnoxious and loud and stuff, but you're running red lights. Everybody stays tight in line, and we're just – we're driving. We ain't stopping for nothing. We're on a mission. Keep it tight and keep it going. And you come around. They make that right. And you go down to either 7th Street or 4th Street, and you hang that left. And once you hang that left – when you're in the middle of the crew, you see the guys ahead of you turning left or turning right onto the mall. But you can't see nothing because it's just buildings on both sides of it. And you come out behind from them, but I mean you're you're getting goosebumps. I mean you're 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 getting edgy, you're getting excited. You come out from between the Smithsonian museums which surround the mall, and you look to your right. And there's the U.S. Capitol sitting up on the hill with all its glory. It's just a beautiful sight all lit up. And you look to your left, and there's the Washington Monument all lit up. And it's a mile and a half almost across there between those two spans of open grass with two gravel driveways. And you're getting excited. You're getting goosebumps. And then you make that left or that right turn up onto that sidewalk. And when your front, when your when your steer axles bump that sidewalk, you're gonna freaking stiffy as hard as you ever had in your stinking life. It's the it's more orgasmic than any orgasm you've ever had in your life. The excitement and the joy and the, the euphoria that you feel in your body. Because you're doing something that only a few American truckers will ever do in their life. And you're one of them. I've done it three times out of the last five years. 
Last year, I had a lot of financial issues and wasn't able to make it. The first year, I, I wasn't even didn't even know about 10-4 on DC, but I found out for the second. I've been I went three years in a row. And I strongly encourage everyone to get involved and go to 10-4 on DC. Um, you can look it up on 10 at 104dc.com. Um, just about every trucking group out there from disrespected trucker to black smoke matters well black smoke doesn't advertise a whole lot but disrespected trucker advertises big time for it um 10 on dc you can find that facebook page as well and it's and it's a dot com website it's just a freaking amazing event um but uh um and so you, you sit on the national mall for two and a half days and you meet people from all over the world, all over America, and they ask you questions about trucking industry and about your life, and you explain it to them. You can set up meetings with your congressmen and your senators to go and talk with them, take a tour of the Capitol, take a tour of the museums, put up a few signs around your truck demonstrating why you're there and what, 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 your, what your gripe is what your legitimate, true, authentic gripe is that we all have, we all feel the same way about, and we're not getting answers to. And we talk to the American people about it. We talk, Politicians will come down. The FMCSA comes down. They placate us a little bit. Um, <laughs> they come down there and tickle our fancy. You know, they got to show face because uh, I'm not a big fan. But uh, um, so anyway, they, you get you get – all that involved you meet great people great truck drivers you build friendships and and friendships that you'll never forget about and then on saturday morning we start our trucks up and we drive off the mall and we tell everybody goodbye within about a 16 block area because ain't nobody gonna be able to talk within three blocks of the national mall when we leave because you won't be able to hear yourself um we that's how we say goodbye and then uh we leave town and we bobtail back down to Fredericksburg. We have a humongous barbecue, um, sit around, have concert, camaraderie time, and then Sunday we go back to work. Um, that I started got involved in that in 20, 2019 is when I got involved in that, and then uh, um, twenty twenty May of twenty twenty we had COVID hit in February. And immediately, the flatbed market took a nosedive. Damn, yeah. Um, a lot of other markets dove off. And we all knew that brokers were screwing us, screwing us hard. And four gentlemen from across the country got together and formed this May Day 2020. And... Uh, my truck was down in the shop on May Day, on May 1st of that year, and uh, getting some things done on it. And when I seen the turnout, there was like 70, no, I think there was almost 100 trucks that showed up on May 1st in Washington, D.C. And they parked on Constitution Avenue. And there was a 
bunch of people showing up and they were getting more trucks show a few more trucks here and there showing up and i was talking to a few people there on the national mall or on constitution avenue that went i was talking to a few of the guys that i knew and and uh um i started making phone calls started talking to people and i said there's one guy that's not there that we need there and they're like who are you thinking i said mike we got to get mike there um so i got on the phone i called him and he called me up and he says no he, he the first words out of his mouth i ain't going I said, yes, you are. He said, no, I ain't. I ain't going. I said, you got to. He says, you go. I said, I am as soon as my truck gets out of the shop. He's like, really? I said, yes. And a bunch of other guys were like, you got to go. You got to go. I mean, and we got him down there. And he went down there and he started getting a few extra things added to the agenda of what was going on. Because we didn't know some of the guys that were starting that and running that show at the beginning. We didn't know. I only knew one, maybe two, actually one. I only knew of one guy that was actually part of that four man team at the time. No, actually I didn't even know him at the time, but I found that, but he, there, when I got down, but some guys were saying that one, we can trust that one. We know. And, uh, we worked it out and we got Mike down there and then we met CJ. Then I went down there and met CJ. CJ, that guy right there. We got down there. We didn't know who he was, and we didn't know who he was for like eighteen days. We didn't know who CJ was. Um, CJ is a very, very wealthy man, and he's younger than I am. He uh. He's got his hands in all kinds of stuff. He owns an ELD company. He owns uh, he's a marketer for um, musicians coming out of Ukraine and Russia. Um, he's a big name in the in the entertainment world of Ukraine as a manager of, of musicians and stuff like that. So I got to learn. We met him, and he was he was helping really hard trying to keep Ukrainian and the Russian drivers in there and keep them going and keep them there. And I met people from all over the world that live here in America, that drive a truck here in America that are, are Americans. I met South, I met people from all six continents. We had people from all six continents. I believe we had somebody, some people there from Australia. Pretty sure we did. Uh, but it was amazing. Um, the camaraderie that we formed down there. I mean, it wasn't like unity, full unity, but it was camaraderie. Um, I learned to appreciate other cultures and nationalities and struggles that they have in the trucking industry and realized what caused their struggles. And the biggest one of all is the language barrier. And the other struggle they ha that they ha we all have at the time was transparency and brokers breaking it off in our asses and lying to us we knew darn good and well that those rates were were um contracted rates it wasn't no spot rate on a lot of that freight it was contracted rates and they took them rates from paying us two and a half three dollars a mile to dollar fifty or less in a month 
And I and I was right in there going, this is ridiculous. Luckily, I had a lot of direct ship freight, so my freight my freight rates didn't fluctuate because I did a lot of direct ship freight. But there was a lot of people that were getting annihilated. And well, after thir- after on day thirteen, thirteenth um, of May, the charter buses from across the country they converged in on DC because the airline industry and the rail industry got these huge subsidy checks because they weren't their amount of income dropped dramatic dramatically but the bus companies who were affected just as bad if not worse got nothing so they come flying in there to try to get hey we need money too to keep us afloat well the days the day they were there we we were doing slow rolls up and down Constitution Avenue side by side. I was walking down the middle of the street with old glory, you know, on a 12 foot broomstick, expandable broomstick out of three by five American flag. And I and a, walking up and down the yellow line, you know, waving the flag, trying to keep people going. It was, a, there was so much chaos going on down there at Constitution Avenue. And then two good friends of mine, one of them I'd known for years, and another one I met there. You had Todd Campbell and um, Cliff O'Brien. I call him the Arizona Cowboy. Uh, but uh, he's a great guy. Todd Campbell's a great guy. Uh, he was also at one time known as the uh, um, uh, Angry Democrat, now known as the Angry American because the Democrat Party left him and he became the Angry American. Um, so, uh, we, uh, um, those two came up across the stoplight there 17th and started side by side slow rolling. And I just stepped out in front of them with that American flag. And I started getting people out there in the middle of the street with me to walk with me. And when we got to 1600 constitution Avenue, which is right in front of the white house, on Constitution, you got the Constitution Avenue, the ellipsis, and then the White House, and you got a direct shot at the back side of the White House from 1600 Constitution at the stoplight there. Um, I mean, it's beautiful shot of the White House. Got right there, and old Sparky Anderson, before I got there, he says, you going to shut it down? I said, I don't know. He says, now's the time. I said, yeah. And I got there to the middle of that. When I got to that light, that light turned red on Todd and Cliff. And I was like, we're done. This is it. We're doing it. I walked right out in the middle of that intersection, smack dab in the middle of it. I told everybody, I said, form a line, both sides. And I stood right there in the middle of Constitution Avenue for an hour. I had police officer, and I and I hate, and I'm not trying to be mean to this officer, but I had a I had a point I had to prove, and I had a statement I had to make, not only for myself but for our industry and what was for right, and for the people that was there because we were been there for too long to be placated any longer. And he come up there and he was telling us to get off the street. He told the ones to my left first to get off the street. They started to back up, and he went to. went to the ones to the right of me and told them to back up and when he was doing that to the people to the right of me I turned to the ones to the left of me and I said get back on the line we ain't leaving 
we ain't losing. We're not going anywhere. And he came up and he stood right in front of me. I mean, nose to nose. And he was telling me to get off the street. And I never said a word to him. I just looked at him. Never changed my face. And then I just looked right over the top of him and just stood there. I knew at that point, I'm about ready to get tased or go to jail, one of the two. But it was, but I'm not leaving. I'm not moving. We're not moving. We're not. And so he jumped on his bike and he took off. And when he did that, three Ukrainians, they ran over to their trucks. They jumped in their trucks and they blocked the other side. So we had the entire street blocked off so nobody could go east, west, back and forth on Constitution Avenue. We had it blocked off that way for just about an hour. And then here come one of the big boys from Metro Police. He come pulling up there. He got out of his car, and he walked up to a group of guys, and he said, who's Greg Anderson? And there were about six or seven guys standing there, and they all backed up, and they one of, and they, one of them pointed at Greg and said, that's Greg Anderson. And Greg looked at him and says, remind me never to do anything criminal with you, you little narc. <laughs> and, he, and the officer looked at him, and he says, I need this street opened up. And Greg's like, I don't think I can do anything for you. He says, well, who the heck can? He's like, I don't know. He's like, who's in charge? Who do I got to get off the street to get this street opened up? He says, that big guy in the middle right there. You get him off the street, the street will open. He comes over to me, and me and him, we go, we go at it, nose to nose. I speak my mind, and I looked at him, and I says, you know, I said, here's the thing. There's a lot of us standing here today that voted for that man in the White House. We respect that man in the White House. We like that man in the White House. The only problem is this. We're not millionaires and billionaires, and we can't buy him a golden toilet seat to shit on. But by golly, we voted him in, and it's time for him to listen to us, the American voters, the American people, and not the millionaires and billionaires that fill their pockets. I said, we pay the taxes that pays the salaries of every person in this city that works in this city. We pay their salaries. And it's high time they do their job and listen to us instead of bureaucrats and big business. So we're tired of it. And we're here and we're not going anywhere. Well, three guys grabbed a hold of me. Uh, three of my buddies grabbed a hold of me, the big boys. They grabbed a hold of me and they drugged me off that street to keep me from going to jail. And uh, five hours later, uh, Mark Meadows from... President Trump's uh, chief of staff was on our side of the street talking with us and get, setting up a time to get us a meeting in the White House. And we sent two guys in the White House, Mike Landis and CJ. They sat and they explained their case, our case. And um, Jim Mullins at the time, was the head of the FMCSA. And he was so red-ass by the end of that meeting from getting spanked for what he knew and wasn't doing anything about that that was one of the reasons I think he stepped down shortly after May Day. 
And then they started the investigation into brokers price gouging truckers and the the uh, um, transparency rules and how they're making us sign our rights away and all the criminality that the brokerages have been doing. They started an investigation shortly thereafter. The head of the TIA, which is the Brokerage Association, stepped down as well. We got some heads turning. We got people scared. And then if you didn't notice, what was really funny, after May Day and after that meeting, every week for about six to eight months, the price of freight would go up anywhere from five cents to 10 cents a week. Slowly, it just kept bumping up. They couldn't do it all at once because if they'd have done it all at once, we'd have had them by the balls. And they knew it. I'm sorry. I've got to watch my mouth, don't I? Oh, no, you but, don't. No, okay. No. But we'd have had them by the balls. And they knew it. And we knew it, too. And they started bouncing it up. And the reason they did that was to shut us up. And it did. It shut us up. Until last fall when the, everything, they started, they're like, ooh, new administration. They ain't got to worry about Trump and his America first, middle blue-collar American first mentality, working man mentality. They got the Democrat Party on their side. So they started stair-stepping her back down. And we are worse off today than what we were when COVID hit. Which, yeah, I find that the most interesting, and that especially economics and business-wise. Now, I, there's people who will come on here and say, oh, in summer of 2020, demand somehow spiked. And and that's probably tr true to an extent, but you're right. That's the, I think that's the most damning thing that's that's going on right now is, has been essentially the past six months since fall. Yeah, since fall of, of, tw of 2022, so much yeah. like it, like the stats have been there, especially like throughout all of 2023 at this point. I think the scariest thing is that there are certain numbers and freight rates that are, you know, it's the same almost economy transportation wise that we saw in the in the spring of 2020. And that right there should, should because I remember like, you know, 2020 wasn't that long ago. It feels like it was a decade ago at this point. But in, you know, when I was in Connecticut in March of 2020, like you, there was nothing you can do. And this is how it was everywhere in the country. And it's just, and for and when you're telling me that even, you know, you can only order to go from restaurants and everybody shit out of business, that somehow the supply and demand was the, is, is, is exactly the same in 2023 as it was in spring of 2020 should be, should set up red flags on some, on, on some things. Like there's no, okay. yeah, there's no, it's not just, Oh, it's really supply and demand. It's, it's not just supply and demand at that point to compare the economies of spring 2020 to spring 2023 and to have the same numbers ha has to raise red flags from everybody. Well, Here's the other thing, too, in my opinion. One thing we did between when COVID hit, what was the big word that was being pushed nonstop before COVID hit? Driver shortage. Oh, yes. The ATAs and driver the, the ATAs myth and their narrative of the fake okay. driver shortage. Yeah. They pushed the driver shortage thing hard. I mean, hard, 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 hard. Yeah. They've now, been doing that for a decade. That, and then. Once COVID 
was the big COVID scare was over and everybody went back to work and manufacturing and all that stuff, what else happened? Warehousing skyrocketed. We put up so many stinking warehouses in the fall 2020, 2021, and spring of 22. 180% increase in warehouse space, right? So then we had to add all these trucks because the freight rates were skyrocketing because we got to get this freight hauled to these warehouses. So everything got packed into the warehouses. Our population hasn't moved much. Financially, with the cost of inflation due to both Trump and Biden, I'm going to say it, both of them, with their huge stimulus packages for COVID to keep the economy rolling, which they overpaid the American people, which they shouldn't have paid the American people as much as they did, but they did. Because you can't just take care of one size. They did a one size fit all instead of doing a, a social system way of doing it. So you made everybody, you made poor people, you filled their pockets with money they never had before and they didn't know what to do with it. And I, and, 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 and I'm that, I'm that guy. I'm that lower middle class, middle class guy. You filled my pockets full of money. What did I do with it? I went to Florida with my family on vacation and my mom and dad. I took them to Florida. The kids had never been anywhere on a big vacation, so that's what we did. I took the stimulus check and went to Florida. I put my truck in the shop, and I did a humongous amount of repairs. And I did um, – and I was down most of – the summer of 21 with all of that doing the repairs and going to Florida with the family after they opened everything back up because my children deserve to go do something. They've been locked away for a year, a year at that point, it was time to go do something, have fun. And we decided we'd go to Florida. But what happened was, is everybody had all this money and they were buying junk. They bought a whole bunch of junk. We built all these warehouses to, bring up the amount of junk we can hold because we thought, well, we're going to keep selling this junk forever. No, we're not. So they got all these warehouses full of stuff. But if you look at manufacturing, we're about 30% above 2019 currently. If you go off 2019 numbers to today, we're about 30% above 2019. So, what we did was is we flooded the market on the mega side with a whole bunch of trucks. And then we had a whole bunch of new entry owner operators go out and get their authority thinking they were going to get it rich because these company drivers were seeing this $250, $3, $3.54, $5 a mile freight all the time. I mean, she, I know guys that wouldn't even roll out of bed to go from the East Coast to the West Coast. If it didn't pay four fifty a mile, and normally that's two and a half to three dollar a mile freight, it was at four fifty. And if it wasn't four fifty, I'm not getting out of bed. I'll find something that's more than four fifty. So what that did was that caused, and then you had a bunch of people that lost their jobs. They aged out. Their company shut down. They're fifty. They're in their late forties, early fifties. They're not going to get hired anywhere. There's they're at that age cut where I ain't going to hire a guy that's 50, 50 years old because I'm only going to get 10 years out of him before he starts falling apart at, at most 10 years. And then I got to 
worry about his la- his production level dropping. I'm not going to hire that guy and put money into training him. I'll go hire a 20 year old. Well, those guys are at that age. The only thing they ain't got no kids at home, and it's just them and the wife. And they're like, I'll go start driving truck. So all them guys that age they got into trucking. They started working for these mega fleets, <coughs> and the mega fleets grew up, got bigger. The owner operators that were leased on to companies, they broke away, started their own authority. The guys that were working for small companies were like, I'm going to go buy a truck, make more money. So they went and bought a truck, make more money as an owner operator. And they started their own authorities too. We had way too many people get into that owner operator authority business. Yeah. The capacity that, is definitely high. That, that is true. And I know that that's an it argument. It was then. Yeah. And it, and it caused a lot of that to go that way. The problem with it today is, is everybody gets a load right now. So, and nobody's sitting around empty. Nobody's traveling around the country empty, no more than normal. Why are freight rates so low? The reason freight rates are so low is because places like Freight Waves and the expert analysis, and the only reason they're experts it's because we listen to them and we allow them to think they're experts. If we stop listening to that expert and find somebody else that's an expert that's got a different opinion, market will move the other way. <laughs> it yeah, will. Sure. Well, Whoever it, the expert is, is the way the market moves. Well, it's, so all it's, we got to do is get somebody that's got a different opinion and we'll move the market. Well, with Freight Waves, it says, you know, I've had a couple of the people from Freight Waves on this show. Um, I, I consider them friends of the show. And they, so they Craig, are, they probably are. They're good guys, but yeah, I, they're good. I just but, disagree with some of their analysis. Yeah. Wh- what's crazy is, though, last year they were the, they were the only people who are calling for the downturn in the market next year when everything was going great for people the last two years. Craig Fuller a year oh, and a half ago oh, no, was saying, no, 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 no. saying yeah, hey, it's going, going down. It's going it's down. Crashing. And everybody else, Every, yeah, everybody else said, oh, no, everything's going to be great. That's why we're building all this warehousing. That's why this money's yeah, going. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I understand. Yeah. He called it. And there was a lot of us owner-operators that were sitting back there going, well, we might have we might have six more months of this. Yeah. We were, there was a lot of us that were calling for the downturn in the spring of 22. Not the fall of 22, but the spring of 22. We were sitting there in 21 making all that money, and we're like – yeah, this ain't gonna last. If we make it to spring, we're gonna be lucky. Well, yeah, in spring truck the yeah. prices. Yeah, the price. I mean, the, the they fact, went up even more, and it's like, how in the hell is it still going? The There's fact, no understanding of this. The fact that a 2022 Cascadia was selling for a quarter of a million dollars should have been fucking national news headlines, and should have absolutely made people stick their ears up for a truck that is built off of planned obsolescence with all of this new technology that nobody likes for a quarter million dollars that is going to have lights come on in 50,000 miles. People should have been fucking. And at at 500,000 miles, you take it to the scrapyard. So it costs you 50 cent a mile to own this truck. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's absolutely, you know, absurd, but Hey man, this is, this is an awesome story. I love how advocacy fell on your lap unintentionally. Oh yeah. Like how. Yeah. 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 I understand what you're saying. Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I'm saying like advocacy fell on your lap unintentionally. You didn't want to be a part of it. You just wanted it. But what, what what you come to realize, and this is what I'm this is what I'm trying to do. This is why I make this show. This is why I talk to drivers, is that as much like the, the thing about this career when it comes to trucking is it is fulfilling. Like people, it's an honest way to make a living. And then when you start to when you actually want to make it a career, where so if once trucking becomes a career for you, the advocacy almost becomes you either have to get involved with this stuff going on, or you're willingly ignoring it and you're okay with it. Because at, at a certain point, you start to realize the issues. And then once you realize that these issues exist, like parking, like, um, you know, uh, f- you know, fraud with, uh, you know, double brokering and the crime going on from lack of oversight with them. And once you get like once, because once you keep going, these issues start to present themselves. And then not only do you see the issues, you start to be like, well, this, how come nobody's trying to fix this stuff? And we have these systems in place like the FMCSA and the DOT and all these organizations. We have these systems in place that are supposed to make it better and improve it. They're not. So it's just at some point, every driver comes to the crossroads of either I need to get involved and fix things or I'm just going to keep ignoring it because, well, at the end of the day, as much as this sucks, I get a paycheck. But if you keep ignoring it and this is what happens and this is what the ATA and their agenda and the the cronies at the FMCSA want, they want you to willingly ignore it. And then your life gets so bad, you just quit. So that way you don't get involved and you don't fight back. But you're somebody who this fell on your lap and, and, and now you're in the middle of it. You know, they don't want guys like you showing up in D.C. Well, and the other thing, too, is is this. When you stick your head in the sand and the saw blade comes through, you can't see the blade to step over it, and it just cuts your head and your feet off at the same time. You're done. just kills you, destroys you. And one of the biggest issues right now that we're facing with this downturn in trucking is our friend uh, Steve, Steve Myers. That man right there, holy, I would not want to be in his shoes. What he deals with every day with the phone calls he gets. I mean, he had one over the weekend. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Two trucks, lost everything. Marriage, trucks, everything gone. And and Steve Myers does a wonderful job at keeping these guys from checking out. Uh, he does his damnedest to keep them from checking out. Mm-hmm. And I support him and, and I listen to him. I'm like, I'm like one of his, I'm like his counselor, you know, I'm almost like his counselor. He never tells me anybody's name, nothing about where they're from or anything like that. He tells me their stories and it just how it affects him. And I'm his, I'm his listening block, block you know, and I and, and th- he needs that. And every driver needs somebody that's able to listen to him. So if you are going through a hard time in trucking or in life general, you got to find somebody that you just find somebody to talk to. I don't care if it's a perfect stranger. And as a perfect stranger, listen to them. Because by you listening to them and not ignoring them, you may save their life. You may keep them from biting that bullet. Give them some compassion. Give them the respect they deserve because they are a human being and they and they did everything they could and they still lost it all. Don't make fun of them because in a matter of a week or two, it could happen to you. A blown engine, a major accident, you could lose everything you've got. I've got, we've got another friend of ours who 
He had things rocking, rocking, and in a matter of like 120 days, he lost everything because of accidents that his company was involved in that he owned. He lost everything, shut the doors, lost a million dollar, multi million dollar company, lost it. So just because everything's going good for you right now, don't don't take it for granted, and don't turn anybody down. Be a listening ear for ever, anybody that needs help. That's one thing I'm going to say. But uh, you mentioned earlier when I came on here, I want to change the story just a little bit. You mentioned something about CDLDU. Well, I'll go back to the beginning of CDLDU. So it was uh, 10-4-2020. <laughs> and uh, we're all out there on the National Mall, you know. And these two older gentlemen come out there and they start talking to us, you know, and we've had tons of people come out and talk to us different times and different organizations, different people want to start this organization or that. And they're not part of trucking and they try to pitch this thing and that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Another, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The salesmen are out there. Exactly. The salesmen are here. Well, uh, we play, we placate them a little bit, listen to them. We're like, okay, okay. And then they call a couple days later, a few couple weeks later, and then they call a couple weeks later, and and they get a couple people latch on, and they get like, um, they got Todd Campbell and Brian Hutchins to latch latch on in the beginning, and uh, but Todd still works with talks with them a little bit. Brian Hutchins, he's He's done with this advocating stuff. He, he's had enough of it. It's burned him out. He's burned out on it. And I get it. I understand it. He, he's just gotten cold to it. You know, I mean, he's, he, he's frozen inside about the whole thing because he's done it so long and put so much energy into it and not seen the results. And it's just, and he's lost time with his family and he's lost friendships over it that he made and they get broke over dumb crap and he just feels like it was a waste of his time then you got then they got a hold of lee and lisa schmidt (laughs) oh my now that is a duo right there and then they got me pulled back into it again and they they started work with me and then i got involved with them too here in the last four or five months Six, no, actually, it's been about eight months, nine months since I've been that I got back involved with them and started talking with them a whole lot. And but this CDLDU, I spent $150 to join this organization. I have lost, sit done the math between what I've spent and what I've lost in revenue, $30,000 in the last since 2018 yeah, 2018 2019 right in that area i guess it's been january 2019 i have lost thirty thousand dollars in lost revenue and expenses going to dc that 150 dollars that i paid to become a member of cdldu has gotten me more reward more enthusiasm and more hope that we're going to get something accomplished than that other 30,000 has ever done. Oh man, I'm right, I'm right there with you. Powerful CDLDU is becoming. And every person out there that hears me say this, please join 
CDLDU. $15 a month, $150 a year, whichever way you want to go. It will be the best $150. Listen, it's simple. Well, this right here is like $2.50. 20% of what this bottle of tea every day pays your membership dues to CDLDU. Worth every quarter you put into it. Yeah, one of the big a day. One of, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing up uh, bringing this up because that's the truth. I have a lot of people who who have been telling me the past couple of weeks, couple of months. You know, they're like, do you, you know, do you really think that you can, you know, it, you know, you can spark some sort of change? Do you really think you can accomplish this mission that you're on? And I've said it time and time again. I said I wouldn't be doing any of this what I'm doing if I didn't believe that their success was couldn't be made. And a lot of the reason because I'm not going to lie, there came a point probably towards the end of 2022 where I was like, maybe I'll shy back away and really just focus in more on fitness. But then CDLDU came up and ever since meeting the Schmitz, talking to them, going to the Mid-America Truck Show, like CDLDU has given me the utmost confidence that I like, oh no, I think things actually can be done because we're already making these friends in Congress. And it's just, you know, so on the advocacy side, we're already making the right friends in Congress. We're getting involved. But then on top of it, CDLDU as an organization, what we're going to be offering on the mental health side of thing. And I'm really glad you bring up the mental health because that is and you're the working under. on the fitness side, right? Yeah, which falls in line with the mental health because I want to help okay. drivers with their fitness because it's it's a trickle down effect. Like the mental health side of thing, people don't really realize like this turnover issue that's going on in the industry. Um, that I mean, the mental health is just such another glaring cause of this turnover issue is that the realities of life don't go away for drivers when they're on the road. And unfortunately, we have this sort of Stockholm syndrome with the drivers who've been tenured in the industry who say just, well, that's life, suck it up. My wife don't divorce me and my kids don't talk to me. There's people on TikTok who say, oh, you know, my kids don't talk to me. My wife left me. Oh, well, that's trucking. And it's like to have that sort of mindset is exactly what the ATA and the FMCSA want. They want to make sure that you are this dumbed down person who can't live to be in your fullest potential. They don't want you to be the best version of yourself. They want you to be this, you know, battered woman, so to speak, in this industry being negative. That's the energy they want. The energy they don't want is what we're doing at CDLDU, taking care of drivers, making them better, making them healthier to advocate for themselves to do this industry. So yeah, for for guys out there, 15 bucks a month, you're going to get access to mental health resources, business training, and you have people who will be going to regularly going to DC. So you don't have to spend $30,000 of your own business's revenue to get there uh, and to, to go there to try to meet people. Absolutely. And, and and when we talk about mental health, let's talk about mental health. Look at the situation I'm in right now. I've already told you about it, but I'll tell the viewers about it. My mother-in-law suffered a severe stroke on Friday. Today's Monday. But suffered a severe stroke on Friday. She went into hospice care last night. Um, 75 years old, my wife's best friend. Now my wife is going through something that is so horrendous to go through, the loss of her mother, her best friend, and watching her die. Here I am having to work because the economy is so damn bad that I don't have the money in the bank to take off a week to go home and support my wife in this because we can't afford it. Got truck payments to make. We got maintenance bills we got to pay. 
So I'm doing everything I can over the phone with her. And believe it or not, me and my wife have talked more in the last three days about our feelings and about everything going on and our, our plans and stuff like that than we have in probably a year on the phone. I mean, it, it, and we, I know in the last three months, we've talked more in three days than we have in the last three months total. I mean, minute for minute, we've been on the phone more than what we have in the last three months. And these are, these are real experiences. This is the reality is, of being on is. the road. And it, oh yeah, it is. And I mean, and, and it's hard on me because, and then my kids are being shipped around all over the church because I'm not home to help her with the kids. She's got to go be with her mom. <laughs> we live two and a half hours from my parents. So, and any family members on my side. So our kids are getting shipped into the church, which thank God for the church. I mean, thank goodness they're there. And I, I'm lucky because I go to a, a larger church. So I'm able to just, we're just able to make a pick up the phone, make a phone call. And they're like, we're coming to get them. Nobody even asked a question. Where are they going? We don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay, here's their bags. And we have faith that they're going to places where they're going to be taken care of and, and they're going to be supported. And that's huge. And, and But in the trucking industry, we have to use that in the trucking industry to take care of each other. Because when we're out here on the highways and byways, we're only, we got, the only thing we got is each other. I mean, because our families are at home. Yeah, we can talk to them on the phone, but when we're desperate and on the road, the only thing we got is each other. And 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 I hate that that whole scenario of, oh, my kids don't talk to me and my wife left me. I hate that. I hate that with a passion. And uh, my wife, she she told me, I'll, I'll be honest with it. I'm an open book. I don't I don't hold anything back my wife told me last night that we got to talk a lot about what's going on with us because a week and a half ago she was thinking about leaving me i mean because i'm so stressed when i get home from what's going on out here on the road and with everything going on in the industry and i'm working so much more not getting home and i feel like that i'm the house and everything at home is not getting taken care of like it should be that i'm not there and I, I got to do this to pay the bills and keep the family going. It's causing stress between us and things that I've said and done in the last, or things that I've said in the last month, two months, three months, because of the stress of this, it's caused a strain on our marriage. And, and to the point where a week ago, she was talking to her mom about leaving me. And I was, and I don't want that. I said, when we took our vows, when we got married, we took our vows and we say this funny and fun, but we 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 meant it m metaphorically, not physically, but metaphorically. We always said we don't believe in divorce. That's why we both own shotguns. You want out? You got to kill each other. You got to kill the other one. That's how you get out. And I mean, and and to be honest with you, the way the way a marriage should work, if you do get divorced, you should be honest with you. It is like killing somebody. I mean, it really is. If you truly get married for the right reasons and everything like that, trucking will destroy that shit without a good mental health and a good standard of living because truck drivers are selfish. We come out here and do this. We don't have to do this. We get addicted to it. It's worse than cocaine driving this truck. We're selfish because we do this. Our families are the ones that sacrifice. 
they're the ones that sacrifice dad not being at the football game, dad not being at the recital, dad not being at the daddy-daughter dance, dad not at church, dad not home for my birthday, vice versa. It could be mom, too. I mean, there's 7% of our industry is women, but it's just the common word is dad, and I'm a dad. So, I mean, our families make the sacrifice, and they're not financially financially paid for that sacrifice the way it is right now. Yeah, that's especially that's with the, these rates that we have. Yeah, and, and that's and, the biggest reality. Yeah, and that's the biggest, huge on huge on mental health. Yeah, that's that's the biggest reality right there. Is that the the time the since 1980 since deregulation the productivity and hours worked of a truck driver has skyrocketed. It's gone through the absolute roof. The hours put in and the productivity has absolutely exploded. The economy, the way it moves today, is uh, unreal compared to what it was in 1970. And that, and that, there, there's more money in it, and that money hasn't gone to the operator. And there's a true cost to that. And the thing is, I believe we're at a point to where it's not sustainable because you're right. At the end of the day, there's people on here, and there's people who are going to listen, especially the nine drivers who are going to tell you, "Well, you choose this. You choose this." That they gaslight you into saying that it's pure gaslighting. Just because somebody chooses a career should not mean it should be so detrimental to your health. It, it, you know, it it costs costs you your family. At that point, that is where are we at as a society to where our career choices to where in trying to build businesses truly mean losing your family, you know, and not being there and not having these life experiences. How far have we really come as a society to be like, well, you choose this. Well, here's the thing. I long for the day where actually everybody, you and I included, I wish I wish every truck driver would choose tomorrow to not move ever again. And they just don't. And I would love I like I would love that. I, I would that, too. Yeah, I would that's too. the thing. Take that's, a take a take a one week or two week vacation. Everybody take a vacation for two weeks starting tomorrow. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Let's just sit back and see what America had to say about that. You chose to drive a truck. Yeah. Well, it's like well, in that case, you're right. I, yeah, people chose to drive a truck. And I, I hope that not they to anymore. Yeah, I hope they all choose not to. And then you know you see the real cost, but. Uh, Man, Dan, I, I I can't appreciate you coming on and tell this story. I'm gonna have to have you on here again so we can definitely talk more about uh, the issues and what we're doing at CDLDU. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I've got I've got to sign off for the listeners out there. You heard where to go. You got to go to CDLU.com to join to join us over there. And Dan, can people find you on social media anywhere? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm a, my my page is public, so it's Daniel Coors on Facebook. Um, You'll see my, uh, um, let's see, I think it's my wife standing in front of my truck on the National Mall is one of the pictures. And I think the other picture might be my family, the whole family or something like that. I don't, I can't remember what my pictures are on there, but you can't miss me. I'm DWK tracking. You on, are you on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at all? I'm on TikTok under shortstack715. And then, uh, what is it? Daniel course, I forget what the numbers are. There's, I got two TikToks accounts, one on my phone, one on my tablet. But yeah, one on my tablet is a short stack 715. All right, then that's that's where we'll find you from there. But Dan, I, I can't appreciate you coming on. That's a real that's a raw story. And the thing is, what's unfortunate about it is, is your your story is identical to hundreds, if not thousands of people right now in the country. Nobody talks Absolutely. about it. Um, there's not a lot of content surrounding this and what's and the truth about it is it's just 
at some point, you know, compassion needs to win. Uh, I'm glad you brought up your faith on the show. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a, we're a big, we're big fans of the Lord on the Lombard trucking show myself. Uh, I think God is good. I think he's great all the time. And uh, I, I think if, if people truly feel that way too, uh, other people who are believers or believe in compassion, um, I think at the end of the day, we need to start letting compassion shine through in a lot of these issues. And hey, we need to, you know, America is just, we, our truck drivers deserve better. Uh, I don't think we can go backward. You know, I, I'm not saying unions are the answer. It's hard to just go backwards on a lot of this stuff, but hey, there, but we need something. Something needs to change. And CDLDU is, do, is doing everything we can to be a part of that change, man. So, Dan, I want to thank you again for coming on. And thank you all once again for listening. You know where to find me at Lumbar Trucking. With that, guys, we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you.